Thomas Jefferson and most of the founding fathers, if not all of them, were deists, teacher. And so when folk want to lift up Thomas Jefferson and the rest of these founders as some paragons of virtue, when they were blatant racist, it is a major misnomer. It is just right, just outright a laugh in the pits of hell to suggest that black folk was introduced to Jesus when they came to America introduced to Jesus by white folks. I mean, that's just a lie from the pits of hell. You know, college students think about, um, you know, spatial proximity differently. Talking about it, that students are, um, they're digital consumers, not necessarily digital learners. Uh, live music, enclave, um, some late night uh, group encounter with friends over a meal. Mm-hmm. Probably more gospel being preached there than in a church on Sunday. Morning. Absolutely. And so what I and I said I can't yes. remember the last time I encountered a sanctuary full of folks who were honest about their overindulgence. Oh my goodness. And were present in the worship service and I'm said right. we need to work on being better. Yeah. I, I think the pandemic has given us permission to know that we don't have to be prisoners to a particular worship experience. You know, our ancient African ancestors understood that worshiping God could happen within nature, anywhere. Hey, my sisters. Hello, hello, and hello. How is everyone on today? Oh my goodness, how's everyone? Hello, hello, everything is everything. Everything is everything. (laughs) Well, we wanna thank our viewing audience. Uh, Just let us know where it is that you're listening in from. Um, um, Just uh, let us know that you are here. We thank you again for joining us, y'all. Okay, all right. I know know I'm not talking to the super saved folk on today, all right. But who saw that halftime show? Oh my God, who, who saw? Come on, y'all, holler at me. Who saw? Hold on, hold on. Okay, we Super gonna Saint be Saint. all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was hip hop in and for real. Hip hop. Oh, oh. No come on, come on, baby, come on, come on. <laughs> No more oh. drama. Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, oh wow, y'all! I was I, I was in a reclining position that you know just like I'm watching. Before I knew it, I was like, oh, let me get some water. Sweat was coming out. I was like, oh, okay. Oh yeah, thank you, Jesus. No, 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 Dr. Thompson here. No, ma'am. <laughs> you know, I looked at looked at my door and I said, how do you do that? How how can? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just gonna leave it for you. I can't do that seawall. <laughs> Although I would love, would have loved to, but nah, mm. couldn't do that. I say the that. problem is they can have hip hop as a as a halftime show, but they can't have no black folk as coaches. Oh, see, wait a minute, hold a second, hold a second. Before you take me serious, let me let me let me let me film the light in for me. Before you take me serious, we got it. You're right about that, but yeah, I forgot how light Snoop Dogg was on his feet. Anybody else? I mean, he, he about a half a buck, really. <laughs> you know, he can't help but to be light on his feet. He's he, he, a pencil. You know, put his weight to him, that'd be a 10. You know, one and a zero. Come on. Now, Dr. Wright, Dr. Wright and, and, and Dr. Wallace, I see you had a Valentine's Day. I just need to know that either of y'all put on that Mary J. Blige outfit on, on last evening for your husband. That's what I need to know. That is Dr. T. Too much information. <laughs> that, that, so I, I didn't see I didn't bother to ask Dr. Bradford. All right, because she was just gonna, she was, you know, she was gonna be the real. Yeah. I was gonna do what? I was gonna do what? I'm, I'm too, I'm old, too old school for that. <laughs> you, you know you what? Too old? Wait, what? I own it. I own it. Yeah, I'm a little bit too old school for that. One. I love it. Let me, let me go on Amazon now. Let me, uh, let me, I'm going to Amazon and, and send it to your house. Yeah, let's delete that from the comments. She said she's too old for that. Hey, I just have to tell the truth and share my dad. 
not I'm too old for that. You might as well said you had a headache. Uh, <laughs> but apparently she did know that Valentine balloons behind her in the corner. So the things we talk okay. about before the guest arrives. <laughs> but but on on the other side though, you are um Wallace, you are correct. You're about to say about um the issues of of hiring uh, black black coaches in the NFL, head coaches, black head coaches, it, it um, um, remains um, remains yeah. an issue. Yeah. But let let it be known that the halftime show was sponsored by Pepsi. Let uh -oh. it be known. Go ahead. Now, why why should we know that? Go ahead, Dr. Bradford. Why should no, we know that? No, 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 no. I'm just saying um, they don't hire the coaches. <laughs> They just sponsor the halftime show. And I thought it was admirable to be right there in LA and LA, the team um, LA Rams playing. Um, but I am a bit appalled. I, I got several comments about NFL and not hiring black coaches and being caught up in these text messages sent to the wrong person. You know, um, no, we just interviewed him. We, we were never going to hire him. You were always going to have the job. Really? I mean, what is this about? So you got caught. Now you're going to be sued. Now, now what are we going to do? Publicly. Yeah. That right. Yeah, that's it's asinine to be, for lack of a better term. Crazy. Oh, um, on a bit of a lighter note, <laughs> uh, what was what was your favorite uh, commercial Super Bowl commercial? <laughs> Oh, I usually, I usually those Doritos commercials with those hot Doritos is crazy. There you go. I was hoping you would say that. Yes. Of course, no, all the was, Pepsi and all the Doritos were mine. <laughs> but, and I, love, I, I like Doritos too. So that was good. Yeah. Um, but one, I can't remember the, um, the brand, but that advertisement was See All of Me. I don't yeah, want to um, be. I don't want to yeah, be dark. I want you to see all of me. Get my my um my pure self, my all my color. Don't darken me. I thought, ooh, that is wonderful. That, that whoever was behind that was the Google Pixel Six, and That's I am and I am an Apple iPhone person. Um, that that commercial was enough to to cause me to be curious about the Google Pixel yes. 6, which um, um, that I was, I was, uh, that, that commercial was quite impressive. I think yeah. the slogan was, if you love me, then love all of me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah. thought that yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it had an, an array of colors, uh, backgrounds. It was, it was wonderful. But of course, <laughs> Pepsi and, and Frito-Lay, you know. <laughs> what you say, Doctor Shazada? Curious only, curious only. I mean, but the camera, right? I could. Who knows? I could take up photography as a as a new hobby. Anika Richardson. Oh God. <laughs> Thank you, Wallace. <laughs> um, I am very pleased uh, to um, present our guest who is backstage um, for us on today. I've known our guest um, for, for many years, and this is quite an honor uh, for, uh, for us on today to be able to have him as one of our guests. Uh, Dr. Herman Skip Mason uh, Jr. Is, a, is an historian. He is also the senior pastor of the historic West Mitchell Christian Methodist Episcopal Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a proud native of Atlanta and an honors graduate of the Atlanta Public Schools. Dr. Mason matriculated and graduated from Morris Brown College. He continued his education at Atlanta University, now Clark Atlanta, and earned a master's degree in library and information science with a concentration in African-American studies and archives and museum and management. He is also a graduate of the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta where he obtained the Masters of Divinity and the Doctor of Ministry degrees respectfully. He is a seasoned educator for over 25 years and has served as professor of history, college at Carvis, um, archivist, director and dean of students and vice president of student services 
at both Morris Brown College and Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Currently, he serves as the Director of Library Service and Assistant Professor of African-American History and Religion at Voorhees College in Denmark, South Carolina. He's the author of numerous books. Um, he, uh, was, he has curated major is, um, exhibitions, including the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Centennial Exhibition, Crowns and Gowns, The Legacy of the Homecoming Queen, Hidden Treasures, Black Photographers, his list goes on and on. He has served as the 33rd General President of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity and the National Board of Directors of the Martin Luther King Jr. Foundational Memorial Found, uh, uh, Dr. Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Foundation in Washington, D.C., which led to the completion and dedication of the monument on the mall in Washington, D.C. You all, I am just so delighted on today uh, to introduce and to present to our timely wisdom audience, Dr. Herman Skip Mason. Welcome. Thank you, uh, Dr. Burns <laughs> and Dr. Wright, Dr. Bradford, Dr. Wallace. It is an honor to be here. Uh, and your opening show uh, conversation uh, just had me on the floor. Um, it was uh, interesting. And I will admit that all I wanted to see was Mary J in her boots, okay? Mary, J, Mary J and I have had a, an affair for years. <laughs> And uh, I just wanted to see her and to do her steps. Okay, y'all talking about the crip walk. I'm talking about Mary J's side step. Okay? She only has three. She only has yeah, three. She only has three. Right. <laughs> you already and know. She, and, and she did all three. But it, it, it was wonderful. Um, and and the commercials. And I am a Google Pits owner, proud owner. Oh. And, have been, and I am even oh. more in love. With the phone after that commercial that I oh, saw, yeah. which was just stunning, just absolutely wow, yeah. yeah, yeah, wow. I take, I take a lot of pictures. That's why I got the Google Pits. It's perfect wow. for those who take pictures and video. And um, as I was getting my kids, wow. people say, "Why don't you have an Apple phone?" I said, "Because my kids have one." Mm. And as soon as mm. they get out of college, their bill is going to be on their <laughs> own. I'm just giving them a moment. To matriculate, okay. My my daughter has one more year. You know, <laughs> saying louder for the kids in the back. <laughs> for all the kids, okay. You gonna take care of your own bill. I'm yes, so sir. glad. So glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh wow, how exciting! We like to uh, start um, with asking all of our guests. Um, um, we didn't think that we would still be in this um, pandemic and still dealing with COVID. Um, what has it been like uh, for you um, in these COVID streets, this pandemic time? Um, what, how has this been for you? Ooh, wow, uh, it's it's been a challenge. Uh, and as pastors and preachers, and you all are self care specialists, and you help to care for others, you know we sometimes don't always share uh, what we go through as pastors and preachers, because we want to make sure that everybody else is doing okay, you know, and, but it has been a, a challenge. I entered the pandemic about a month and a half after having been in a life-changing car accident on my Ooh. way to church on our Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday morning. I was driving on the highway, I-20, uh, and the next thing I know, a car that I didn't see coming slams into the back of me the airbag implodes. I, my car goes to the guardrail on the side. It spins and goes back across the highway and ends up in a ditch up against uh, a fence, uh, the sort of the wire fence. And I'm so thankful for that because if that fence had not been in, in, in that grassy nose, it probably would have gone on. And so, you know, it was life-changing. You know, I got out. I was able to get out. I had injuries, but I was alive. It changed my whole perspective on, on things, on life in general. I'm so grateful that God spared me. You know, my, my prayers just always, Lord, let me live a good life, a long life to see my kids 
you know, grow up and, and become into their own. And God spared me. Um, but I was injured mentally and physically and uh, emotionally. And it has taken some time uh, to, to heal from that. Uh, but God is good. And I have done the best that I could during the COVID. You know, I interesting, uh, the doctor cleared me. Uh, this was about six weeks later to go to the Holy Land. I had scheduled a trip to the Holy Land. And I said, Doc, if if I have to go with bandages on and a crutch, I got to go. I got to get to the Holy Land. And so I was able to go. That was a life-changing trip in itself. And uh, when I realized that we were, that our lives were about to change, I was actually standing in Times Square. And let me tell you why. One of the things I didn't put in my little bio is that I have always been a lover of the theater. In fact, I wanted to act. I studied acting. And my acting professor said, uh, Mr. Mason, your voice is too Southern. Uh, your drawl is too long. You're going to have a difficult time trying to, to get roles. Uh, and that just really broke my heart. And so I decided not to pr pursue acting um, although my friends say, well, Skip, dog, that's what y'all preachers do in the pulpit on Sunday. You get up there and perform and act and carry on. Th those are my friends, okay? I say, well, not that kind of acting. I'm talking about dramatic acting, but I've always had a love for the theater. And so when I can, I get to New York and, and catch plays. I have a lot of friends on Broadway I've met and loved on over the years. I was in the middle of Times Square when, um, Governor Cuomo shut New York down. I was at the ticket booth trying to get tickets for that night. And I had friends who were flying up to New York. And so when he sh when they shut the theater down, I said, oh, my God, what what is this? And I recorded a video standing in Times Square, just trying to figure out what on earth is going on. Is this the apocalypse? And so I got on the next thing smoking the next day and came back home and realized that our lives would be changed forever. As a pastor, of course, we had to figure out how we're going to, and let me say this, because many churches were already technologically savvy. At West Mitchell Street, we always recorded the service, and then we played it later. We put it on YouTube. So I had to figure out how do we do this in real time. When I look back at some of those early Sunday morning Facebook Live sermons, I cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely cringe. But we were doing the best that we could with what we have, just trying to connect with our members and figure this whole thing uh, out. And I happened to be looking at a, some friends on Facebook, and I said, oh, I like this format, and the name of it was StreamYard. And I texted him. I said, can you send me a link and tell me about this? And is it difficult to manage? And he said, no, it's easy. And, and so I fell in love with StreamYard. And uh, StreamYard rescued me, rescued my church, if you will. Uh, and it gave me a platform uh, to, to do a little Sunday show mm -hmm. that was only supposed to be Dr. Burns' one show. All I wanted to do was to have this a one. It was supposed to be one show. I just wanted to have a conversation with Bishop Lakey on the history of the church. What else? That's what I love. During the conversation, Dr. Teresa Duhart texted me and she said, uh, Bishop Williamson wants to know when is he going to be on the show <laughs> during that. And so wow. I said, oh, my God, well, I can't do Bishop Williamson without doing Bishop Thomas Brown, my bishop. And so that's how my conversations show CME 151 was created. It was only meant wow. to be one wow. show. Wow. So wow. I've survived, wow. to answer your question, I have survived. My family's doing well. My kids are in college. Mom mom went through a cancer battle. During COVID, discovered she had breast cancer. My 87-year-old mother, who's now 88, getting her to cancer treatment, seeing her go through that process and all. So it's, it's been a challenge, but, but thanks, thanks be to God, you know, we, we're still standing, you know, and uh, trying to do the very best that we can. Wow. 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 Thank you um, for that. Let me uh, ask you this, this question. Um, well, first we, we want to applaud your work and efforts in the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial on Washington, DC. 
Tell us from your perspective why this was so very crucial and necessary for those of us of African descent and and well, let's and even white America. Why 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 was why did you find this so important? Well, it was important that we honor um, Dr. King for his effort, his life cut short at the age of, of 39, that we find a way. And it happened as a result of a fraternity brother, a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, an old uh, rascable brother saying, we got to do something for Dr. King in DC. And he put it in the atmosphere. This was in 1985. Uh, I had been in the fraternity for three years. And I remember uh, they would set up a table and they would have jars and canisters collecting coins, nickels and dimes. Didn't even really know how this would come to be. And so in a span of that time, the project took on leads. It, it, it took on support from one general president to the other. They realized that they had to move this idea forward uh, to create a monument, to create a, a memorial for Dr. King. And the process alone in getting congressional support and getting the president of the United States to buy into it and, and getting the Department of the Interior uh, to release a spot. The spot that the memorial owned was the last available spot on the mall in Washington, D.C. Because you had your Korean memorial, you had the um, the Veterans Memorial, you had all of these memorials. There was only one spot and it was over near the where the, the, the line of the beautiful cherry orchids, the cherry trees are. And so we got the last spot. Uh, fast forward, uh, I am elected and installed as the 33rd General President of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. And my job was to get us to the end and to get the monies that we needed to finish raising. It was a $123 million project. Uh, and to get uh, us to the end and have a dedication that was worthy uh, of Dr. King and worthy of uh, the nation's first black Greek led organization for men, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. And that we would do it at the same time. I, President Obama was inaugurated as the president, the 44th president in January of 2009. And the following week, I was inaugurated as the 33rd president. So we were riding that crest, that wave of having the Obamas in, in, in the White House. And I'm telling you, it was something to um, something to behold. And, and we said that this must be dedicated while Obama is in office. And so we were able to get to the finish line and to do that and uh, lots of controversy. You know, the sculpture was Chinese, you know, folks went after that. Uh, dealing, <laughs> let me be careful with my words, uh, dealing delicately with the King family uh, and making sure that uh, all uh, I's were dotted, T's were crossed. I mean, it was just a challenge and a struggle. Uh, from beginning to end, but uh, we we finished it uh, and got it dedicated. And uh, I am grateful that when you go to D.C. and when you go to the memorial, I am listed on the plaque uh, as the uh, general president of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, and, and nobody can take that away. Because let me tell you, when you, when you rise to higher heights, it comes with a lot of enemies. It comes with a lot of haters, a lot of challenges, you know, and so my crest to the top came with the price uh, with me uh, and, and the fraternity. Uh, but, you know, thanks be to God, you know, time heals, time changes things. I'm, you know, back in good standing with the fraternity. But boy, did I see a lot of haters. Did I see a lot of, uh, I don't want to, I don't know what it was, but you know, it's the price you pay when you when you are elevated. Okay, it is the price that you pay. People who rise to the top, they rise with the price and they pay that price. Okay, you're not just gonna get up there and float and everything is gonna be lovely because people see you and they want what you want. I remember some board members telling me, "Well, when you at the White House, we ought to be at the White House." I said, "Okay, really." 
you know, and so those kind of daggers and darts came, um, but God allowed me to stand on that platform in October of 2011 with President and Mrs. Obama, Vice President Bush, uh, the Secretary of the Interior, uh, and I opened up the dedication as the general president of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. My children were there. They got a chance to, to witness and see people. There's a wonderful picture. When we went to the White House and we went in to have an audience with the president, Mrs. Obama, when my son went in, he was about, uh, about six or seven at the time. The first thing President Obama did was to straighten his bow tie. And, and, and we took pictures. And when they sent the pictures, we had no idea that they had captured that moment. Uh, in time. So all that I went through was worth it to, to know that my children had this opportunity to be in the White House with, with the kids. But you pay a price. You pay a price for it. And anybody can tell you, ask Moses. Moses did not get to the promised land. He, he paid a price. You know, Dr. King said, I may not get that with you, but we as a people, he paid a price. You know, and I'm not putting myself in the category, but I'm just letting you know that sometime when you're in an organization that fosters brotherhood and sisterhood, everybody ain't brotherly and everybody not sisterly. Amen. Mm, mm, mm. Let me, uh, you, I'm going to stay on this historical side mm -hmm. for a moment. I kind of want to talk about Atlanta, but but you're on this historical side. Uh, tell us while, while we're listening uh, how did you manage to become an historical consultant for PBS documentaries? How did how did that happen? So I owe all of that to Spike Lee. I did an exhibit in 1986 uh, on the history of Alpha Phi Alpha in Atlanta. Spike was had just finished film school, NYU. He had done She's Got a Habit. And he was in Atlanta scouting, getting ready for this, this movie about, about Black college life. He went to the library and he saw the exhibit. And he said, okay, I need to get in touch with whoever did the exhibit. And so the head of the archives reached out to me and say, uh, uh, a filmmaker named Spike Lee is trying to get in touch with you. I said, oh yeah, I heard of him. He did the movie, She's Gotta Have It. And so at any rate, we connected and so Spite said, I'm, I'm doing this movie and I want to open up with a montage of images that depict the African-American experience. And I'm going to have the Glee Club singing and I want you to put that montage together. So when you see School Day. Hold on a second. That's your work? That's my work. Why am I just finding this out in 2022? Well, as I tell people, if y'all if they stay in the movies to read the credits, See everybody. <laughs> yeah, but some stuff, and you you know our publication. Some stuff needs to be on the front of, of uh, and so now I'm, I'm, let me be delicate in this. Right, as you right, just said, right. This is 2022. Why am I just putting this out? 2022. I did the opening montage for Spike as Morehouse Glee Club is singing. I'm building me a home. That was one of the proudest moments of my life. And I got movie credit. I'm, I'm in the credits as a historical consultant. I'm looking at my, my poster, my school days poster that Spike signed for me, you know. And, and so that opened it up for me. So from school days, I got contacted by one of the uh, production designers for this movie called Why Do Fools Fall in Love? The Frank mm. Lyman story. Uh, and they needed a researcher to do research on doo-wop groups in the 1950s and so forth and so on. And so I pulled a package together uh, and, and did that and it got paid and got credit in that movie. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, I'm trying to remember who connected me with PBS. We, there was a project we were working oh, on Atlanta, Sweet Auburn Avenue. And uh, I got called in to, to do that. I've seen, I've seen that as well. Yeah. So you're behind that? I, I, I did the research, photo gathering, uh, documentation. And so from that, there were a number of other, the Jackie Robinson PBS uh, special uh, as well. Uh, I've done some work with Skip Gates, you know, just, you know, behind the scenes. And, and, you know, I said, you know, all I want is, 
you know, be listed in the credit. And of course, you're paid for it. Uh, and depending on the project, it's a nice little piece of change. You can go and get you a stake at Longhorn or somewhere. You know, it's okay. <laughs> okay. I, okay. I, I, I've seen, I know we have some lifetime CMEs on it. I need to know all of y'all that's on here. How many of y'all knew this? Okay. Because I, I thought I didn't know this. And, and I, I'm, I'm feeling somewhat offense, offended that here it is in 2022. And, and I'm not one of the ones that hang around to end, get to the end to, to read all, all the credits. Um, and so I missed it in that. Okay. So I can say, you know, I can, I can own that part, but my God, Skip. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's been a, it's been a blessing. I tell you to be passionate about the work that you do in terms of exhibits and collecting. I'm a collector. I'm an archivist by profession and a librarian by profession. So I, I, you know, I know where the resources are and know how to get to them, but to, you know, be a part of some of these uh, wonderful, wonderful projects that are, that are, are that have taken mm. place and that have been a part of our, our culture has been tremendous, which is why Dr. Burns, Dr. Wallace, Dr. Wright, and Dr. Bradford, I was so upset when the CME Church was not featured and figured prominently into Skip Gates, the Black Church. Let me mm -hmm. tell you why because I did research for that. Their producers contacted me. I pulled together, they contacted Bishop Reddit. Bishop Reddit turned it over to me and said, I want you to, and I pulled together what I thought would be the material, the documentation, photos, at least to include a, a imp of our story. And we got mm -hmm. absolutely nothing, nothing. Nothing. Period. Especially since it was a black, uh, it was founded by African Americans, not Absolutely. the United Methodist Church, but the CME and, yeah. and doing the yeah, period, yeah. and doing the and period of post reconstruction. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Doctor Mason. Sorry, and I was just saying, during the period of post reconstruction, how can you omit our founding from the storyline of blacks in post reconstruction? Uh, developing not only religious institutions, but educational institutions. That's the other piece of the CME Church. You got your Lane College, you got your Miles, you got your Payne College, you got your Texas College. You know, those were crucial institutions developed and not one single word. Wow. Not one. Not but, right. And, and ending in, as Dr. Wallace said, United Methodist. Yeah. Yeah. How, how it ends. Yeah. And so, right. So, uh, so let me ask, ask you this. In your travels and writing, what have you found that African-Americans most misunderstand about their ancestral roots and spirituality? Well, that's a good question. Well, one thing I, I have come to know is that some people don't realize that you can research your ancestors, both post-reconstruction and pre-reconstruction. People feel, I'll, I'll, I'm not gonna be able to do it. It's just too far back and my family didn't leave any records. You can do that. Uh, and I just did a workshop Saturday uh, on digging it up, researching your African-American uh, family uh, and the resources to utilize in order to do that. The other piece that I think I've discovered is that our people were very spiritual because it was all that they had, okay? It's all that they had. And I and I think somewhere, I don't know whether it was in a, a previous communication to me, Dr. Burns, or uh, if it was in my mind, did you mention something about authentic spirituality? Did I hear that? Yes. I said, um, I said I African, mm -hmm. African American, we are the creators of last week. Last week. Last week. Maybe that's mm -hmm. where I saw it. We are. I mean, given all that we've gone through, that's why I encourage people to research their family. Because when you're looking at documents and records and you can see and you look at documentaries and videos and you wonder how in the world did they survive? How, how, how did they survive post uh, reconstruction? Jim Crow, sharecropping, with the mistreatment of our men and our women, especially, you know, how did they they survive? Well, they they had something that man could not take from them, something that was so deep, you know, and, and it was passed down. It was epigenetic. It was passed down 
not just in their DNA, but in their circumstance, in their community. They learn how to call on the name of the Lord. And, and, and Jermaine, uh, my good friend, Dr. Jermaine Marshall, was so right. He tips me. I love to hear him because he goes completely there. You know, they 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 traveled with that with them uh, in the mast of the slave ships. How did they survive? L listen, I, I can't even imagine. I, I can't imagine. I'm taking a group to Ghana this summer. And I know you just got back from what part of West Africa did you just Ethiopia was, was where we were headed, yes. Did, were you all able to make the trip? COVID. Oh, yeah. Okay. One of my favorite places in the whole world. I love Ethiopia. Um, but how did they survive? So we're going to Ghana, God willing, to celebrate my 60th birthday in July. And I have about 40 people going, many of them strangers who just want to go. And we're going to the Cape Coast and Elmina Castles, which was the last holding place before they were boarded onto the various ships, many ships carrying Christian names, uh, of course, to take that journey across the Atlantic Ocean. It is something to behold. It is, it is something to be in that castle, looking in them dungeons where our ancestors who in that moment could not have any hope at all, at, at all, but somehow had enough hope, stamina, and strength to endure. Somebody survived the middle passage for all of us. Uh, many survived for all of us, and we carry that strength in us. And so I think that um, it is important that we recognize the power of spirituality, but that our spirituality and our power has been inherited, you know, from generation to generation. From, from mothers and grandmothers. L look at the mathematical equation. Two parents, four grandparents. Let me, let me back up. Each of you, all of us have two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great-great-grandparents, 32 great-great-great-grandparents, 64 great-great-great-great-grandparents, 128 great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, 256, and, and it, the number goes on. We come from so many people. We have enough people that we descend from to draw strength from on any day of the week. Any day, I, my house, my children, bless their hearts, and, and, and even my ex-wife, they, 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 they lived in a house surrounded by dead folks. All the pictures of my ancestors, you know, like I have my great-great-great-grandmother here and my great-grandmother. My ancestors surround me. They give me strength. I need them to be near me. I, it's pictures, but they are in the spiritual realm you know, uh, as well. Uh, and they provide me with the strength. Uh, and God did something very special, you know, when when God created um, these wonderful people uh, and said that from their loins, you will come, you will spring from their loins. Uh, and I am just so, so eternally grateful for my ancestors uh, who guide me you know, and who are part. And I tell everybody, you need to get in touch with them sometime. You know, you need to get in touch with them uh, and call on the, the strength of the ancestors. You know, that's what we have. Your grandmamas and granddaddies, you know, uh, just endured a tremendous amount uh, of, of pain, but they, they survived. We don't know the story. I mean, the stories of the, the men mistreated and treated like boys, and then they would come and mistreat their women, okay? You know, and, and you know, it's, our stories are not, you know, unique. All families have this kind of trauma, have had it, you know, but they've been resilient and um, bouncing back and giving us the strength that we need. Uh, and I saw that in my mother, she battled cancer because the doctor said to her, because she said she didn't want chemo and she want to do this. And the doctor said, do you want to see your grandchildren graduate from college? That's what she said. And my mama sat there and she said, yeah. And somehow something came over her and she had the will to live. And it was tough. That chemo took her out. That chemo took my mother. I, I, there were times we were at the house. 
She was in the room. I'm in the living room thinking everything was fine. She is on the floor. She has slipped off the sofa or something and didn't have the strength to get up. That chemo wiped her out. And a couple of weeks ago, I took her to the doctor. And she said, oh, you don't have to get out. She got out. She walked on in there. She looked all pretty. She had a little matching bag because she liked, you know, mom's an old diva, you know. So she she wasn't going to let that cancer wipe her out, okay? And she had a little lips painted and her nails painted and she had a little bag. She said, oh, I'm fine. I said, well, let me let me park and go. She said, I got it. She rode the elevator. And I remember the days when we could barely get her to treatment. You know, the strength that we we have in our own family is what we we draw on. And, and mom dug deep. In, in in her DNA to pull that strip to say, I, I got to fight this. I, I got to make this. You know, I'm not going to go out just like that. Okay. You know, so I draw strength from those stories that have been passed down from one generation, you know, to another. And now we have the ability to collect stories. That's what we, we have to do. Uh, Dr. Burns, I, I was in your, um, oh my God, what did you have um, a couple of weeks ago? Um, it was it was an intimate setting where you invited people to come. Mm, the town hall. The town hall. Oh, and oh, thank you. I, I was there, and you talked about growing up as a teenager. I think you talked about the death of your father, or it might have been your mother trying oh, to yes. struggle mm -hmm. through that, going to college. I, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that part of the story about you. But some look and look at you now. You know, look at you now. Okay, there was something that carried you through those moments that carried you through, and it has helped to shape you to who you four are today and to who I am today. And that is the power and the strength of our spirituality and what our ancestors have. And I do believe that they continue to guide us. You know, I believe God has granted them permission, you know, to guide us uh, and to help us along this journey. Uh, that that we we're in called life. I don't know if one of our co-hosts might have a question. If not, I'll I'll continue with mine. Oh, I'm just I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just uh, speechless. Um, Dr. Mason, and I'm forever grateful for the story that you have just shared. Because it will give me strength on Thursday. Mm. But it's also the same story that's going to help my girlfriend, my sister girl, mm -hmm. my friend on the first ballot. That's all mm. I'm going to say. Yes. On yes, the first yes, ballot. I'm, yes. I'm claiming it on the first ballot. I, yes. And I'm not even seeing me, but I'm claiming it. And I'm calling all the ancestors. To join me in making sure that that happens. And if I'm in trouble, if I get in trouble for saying that I'm in trouble, I don't care. I, I don't it. care. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Because I do, she's already paid the price. Yeah. She's paid the price. And she and deserves Elevation it. comes with the price. It's yeah, the bottom line. It, comes with the price. it just comes with the price. Thank and you, you got to be Thank willing you so to, much. you know. Endure, you know, mm. that, that journey. Yeah. Elevation also requires character. And that's one thing that yeah. she is yeah. not lacking on yeah. character or integrity. Yeah. Good character, good integrity. And mm -hmm. not everybody that you can entrust your life to spiritually mm -hmm. and emotionally. My husband preached a message some years ago and it was so powerful, but I believe it was one of the best messages that he ever preached. And it was, can God trust you with his stuff? Mm. Mm. She has proven herself, mm. tried and proven. Mm. has shown that she will carry the mantle that God has placed upon her with Absolutely. that trust. Absolutely. God Absolutely. can't everybody with his stuff. That's right. So I need I need you, Doctor uh, Mason. No, no, no. One thing to me, Doctor Mason. I need you to get all of her information, do the research, and at the general conference, 
I need you to bring the pictures of her ancestors mm. so that they can present surround them. her. Present them. That, that and present is, them that, at the General Conference that, that in Cincinnati, powerful. Ohio. That, that I, I just powerful. I just need you to do that. And I think okay. I think I think we will be successful if you can help us with that. One of the things that I plan to do on my show is to have all of the Episcopal candidates one-on-one. Because I think in the moment when we, when you're campaigning, I remember campaigning for general president and having to do those dreaded debates. I hated them, you know, and, you know, one question after the other. And people don't really get to know you uh, or understand when you're in that format. And so I'm looking forward to one-on-ones because I thought that your town hall, the town hall I attended was absolutely wonderful. It, it, it was just, you know, and I told a few of my preacher friends, too, I, that I attended. And I said, God, I learned some stuff about Dr. Burns that I did not did not know, you know. And so sometimes people don't know our stories mm-hmm. and, and we have to tell, you know, mm-hmm. our stories sometimes because they don't know. And if they don't know, they, they assume they make up, you know, uh, and try to figure stuff out. You know, and we need everybody to figure that and, out. And they think story. you got there on flowery beds of ease, and yeah. that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, I ladies and gentlemen, the time that we, we have left against <laughs> Dr. Bradford. I do, uh, I do have a question. You have yeah. talked about your own history and how you have contributed um, to um, different v- venues. I'd like to know what are some of the jewels of history that are unknown? within your Zion, the Christian uh, Methodist Episcopal Church? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, so what I've tried to do with with my show content is to present some of those, some of those jewels, some of the unknown folk. I mean, I had people who did not know that the great poet Maya Angelou grew up seeing me. She grew up wow. in seeing me in Stamps, Arkansas. Her mama, grandmother, was a staunch member. Uh, and Maya even refers to it. It was a fact that just kind of went overlooked. Maybe a few people did. She didn't talk about it much when she got older, but she talked about the influence of the church because she said it was there where she was able to recite poetry. And she was in the Christmas place. And her grandmother had her uh, dressed up all daintily for Easter. Mm-hmm you know, in the colored Methodist Episcopal Church. And that that's something we should know, that someone as great as Maya Angelou, you know, grew up seeing me. And so I've tried to present those kinds of facts. We got a lot of blues singers that have come up in the uh, CME church as well. Uh, Alberta Hunter, great Harlem Renaissance uh, singer and actress grew up seeing me up in Memphis, Tennessee. So what I've tried to do is to present those kinds of facts uh, that may not be generally known uh, to the public uh, about some of the people. And of course, the greatest one, in my opinion, to grow up seeing me was Nina Simone in Tryon, mm-hmm. North Carolina. Grew up CME. So I did a show with Nina's uh, cousins and the pastor of the church. Uh, and it was well documented in the book. It somehow we just read right over it. It, it did not connect. When I found out Nina Simone, one of the greatest conscience, greatest voices, was grew up in the sea in oh colored goodness. Methodist church. That's important. You know, that's important yeah. because it was yeah. it was in the color. There are advertisements. Mm-hmm. Incredibly gifted woman. There are advertisements with little, uh, her, her name was Anina. It was, uh, oh God, F, what was her, her birth name? Whatever her birth name was, performing recital at the St. Luke CME Church at Mission 5 Set. That's a powerful document because it was there where she used to play on the piano and play for the children's choir. And so that's an important part. So that's just a part of some of the, the jewels, I think, that I... Eunice uh, Kathleen Wayman. Eunice Wayman, that's right. <laughs> Eunice Wayman, that's right. That's right, yeah. And the Wayman, and her mother was a preacher in the church as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
have just but Dr. One Mason, more. how did you oh, even get okay. involved in 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 history and African American history? My mom swears I've been nosy all of my life. <laughs> my mom said you've always wanted to know, and that's true. When we would go to Jacksonville, Florida, which is where my parents are from, and we would go and you know spend summers with the family. So the old the family members would be in the living room. They'd be drinking and eating food and having fun, and they want to throw all the kids back in the room. You know how they're <laughs> back in the back with your cousins. <laughs> but I was one of the ones who wanted to sit in the hallway. And listen, and I listened in on stories because they were they were always great. talking about the family and talking about things that had passed. It didn't make sense to me now, okay? But I was that one that did two things. I would always sit in the hallway and listen in, and then I would go in my great aunt's bathroom and eat some of her Argo starch, okay? That I just love. Y'all remember that red box of Argo starch? Come on, somebody on here remembers Argo with the starch. with the yellow writing. Uh, yeah, it was, it was iron and starch. Uh, yeah, but please. here's what I learned when I figured out why do I like Argo starch? We don't well, know. I do know now. No, I know. My mom told me that when she was carrying me, she looked, she ate Argo starch. That makes sense. That she makes had sense. a craving for it. She said, when I came out, I was all pasty and white. <laughs> So now it makes sense, you know, that I understand why I had that love. But the old folks used to eat Argo starch. I don't know what it did, but um, that was just something. And I love going to my great aunt's house because she always had stories, you know. And so I think that that was my my passion. You know, what, what you have been called to do is reveal very early on in your life. You may not understand it. You may not know what it is. You know, but mom said I was so nosy that she ordered me some encyclopedias and the Britannica. And I would sit on the floor and I would go through. And then I got my ebony, uh, my black encyclopedias from ebony. So I had all of these books and I was just reading. I was that kid that, you know, if you read 10 books at the library, they'd give you a certificate. I wanted the certificate. And so I would read books, read books, write about it. And then I'd go get my certificates, you know. So just this quest for knowledge. And then in 1977, I had to do, uh, I had to watch Roots as a class assignment. My English teacher, Mrs. Guy, who's the mother of actress Jasmine Guy, she said, Skip, I want you to keep a journal. That thing turned my life around. Roots turned my life around. And, and that opened up the avenue for me to learn more about my history and ultimately go into a career of what would become, um, you know, history and archives and and, and library service, library science. Wow, wow. wow. Thank you for that. In, in our lives, we have about five, five, five or six more minutes with okay. you. You're a land of native. Um, you know, tell us, what do you appreciate about your city? Um, mm -hmm. What are the things that you kind of grieve around it? Yeah. And what are your hopes for the generation to come? Wow, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm a native Atlanta. Um, Atlanta's a great city. Lots of history uh, within the civil rights movement within the educational arena. I mean, to have a consortium of black colleges all in the same area, your Morris Brown, your Morehouse Spelman, your Clark, your Atlanta University, your Interdenominational Theological Center, now the Morehouse School of Medicine, to have this, this, this kingdom of colleges to educate black folks, I think is phenomenal. And it's been an important part. Of course, Dr. King being a native of Atlanta also has helped uh, to grow the city. It's always been progressive. It's always had a really highly intelligent middle-class uh, community, but things have shifted now. You know, the dynamics, gentrification has come in. You know, what was black is now uh, beige and white now. It's a whole different dynamic. Um, you know, we, we've had black mayors. We've had a great group of African-American mayors. We have a great mayor now in the name of Mayor Andre Dickens. Atlanta has uh, Bergen as the Hollywood of the South. Everywhere you turn, they're filming TV shows. They're filming movies. Tyler Perry's studio is breathtaking. It's incredible. You drive up to it and you say a black man owns this studio. It is a marvel uh, to uh, to behold. So there's a lot to love. Atlanta has crime, you know, and I think the crime is, is tied to a number of factors. Okay. Uh, and those factors are going to have to be 
uh, address, particularly with the youth of our city, uh, with employment, housing has increased tremendously. Uh, and so there are a lot of things that, you know, a lot of issues that have to be dealt with in, in the city. And I think we have the right leadership to do it. Um, we just have to all, you know, come together. Things are changing, particularly in the state house with our state legislature uh, and redefining how we, you know, do elections. Uh, that's going to have a devastating impact on, on the city as well. Uh, but we want to create a city where you feel safe, where you feel comfortable, um, where you know folks, your neighbors, uh, and feel safe to, to, to go out, to come out. I love Atlanta. Uh, I have a Facebook page called Banishing Black Atlanta. Uh, and it consists of uh, Atlantans, you know, native Atlantans, people who've moved out. Uh, and we talk about the Atlanta the way it used to be, but we also talk about the future uh, of the city uh, as well. And I believe that any solutions to any problems begin with conversation, you know, begins with some thoughtful conversation and then an action plan uh, for that. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to be a native of Atlanta. Glad to be a native, and I I pray and I'm glad to be at West Mitchell Street CME Church. We're in the heart of the downtown community, the Atlanta University, right across from Morris Brown, just a stone's throw away from uh, the Mercedes Benz Dome. Uh, but there's a lot of challenges in that community uh, that we have to work together, both in partner partnering with. Uh, our, our neighbors. The theme of West Mitchell is to be a good neighbor, period. That is our thing. And everything that we do has to be connected to being a good neighbor to eradicate. The other big problem I failed to make is homelessness in Atlanta. It is out of control. Oh my goodness. It is, it's, it's ridiculous. And in a city with that kind of um, creativity, ingenuity, and aggressiveness, we ought to have done and should do a better job in finding ways to eradicate and helping our brothers and sisters who are in transition. Because that's what I call them. They are in transition. And we want to get them into a better place. Uh, but we all got to work together to do that. Wow. That's powerful. Wow. Well, Dr. Mason, uh, the information today has been just tremendously <laughs> rich, and and for you to name uh, these movies and documentaries that that you were part of, and for me to not find out about it until 2022, um, I have to admit that there's a place in my heart that is aching oh, and not knowing that right. knowledge. No, I, I that is something I would have broadcast. Yeah. Um. Hey, yeah. And and I just and I know that there's so many more of us. That, that are just simply not aware um, of that. And so sometimes, thank let me you. Say, sometimes the best work is done behind the scenes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what you see in front is great, but it's the behind the scenes work. And so that's what I was doing behind the scenes and assisting these producers and directors, you know, in whatever way I could for what I did in order to create, you know, the, wow. the, the finished product. Wow. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. And, um, thank you. Um, uh, we wish you uh, Godspeed and continue to do what you do for us in our denomination on our Sunday afternoons. The do. information has been priceless. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Mm -hmm. All right, ladies, on Nate's week, um, who do we have as our guest? Andre Dees. Andre Dees. We're excited. Um, communal liberation. He's part of the um, is it National Coalition of 100 Black Men as well, I believe, is, um, with right. these as we close out in February. So Yay. wonderful. <laughs> so thank all of you all for being with us on today. And we hope that um, you come back our way next week at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. <laughs> God bless you. Same time, same place. See you next week. Mm -hmm.